Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Cricket and Drinks. Uh, this podcast, which is my first, is an honest and hopefully humorous look at the way we look at the uh, game we all love over a drink or maybe even two. Uh, while I'm here to talk about my love for the game, uh, I also want to speak to people who whose love for the game have actually inspired me to read more about the sport and what more I can learn from it. Uh, my first guest, in fact, uh, in the cricketing world, doesn't need any introductions. Uh, he's a cricket historian and currently the chief editor of Cricket News. Uh, he recently published a book on the infamous partnership between Sachin Tendulkar and Mohamed Azruddin at Newlands in Cape Town in 1997. Um, he has a number of Twitter threads that talk about several anecdotes in cricketing history. Uh, one of the one of the threads I, I do remember is uh, the one he did on the uh, Tangi White disaster in New Zealand that killed 151 people in 1953. Um, he's also been very vocal about the idea of the gentleman's game, and he's more than happy to get into a debate on the definition of the sportsmanship in cricket. Uh, Abhishekda, thank you for joining us. Hi, it's always nice to catch up with you. So, uh, how did you get introduced to the game? How did I get interested in cricket? I don't even remember. It's like, uh, I, it was always there. I, I, it's very difficult to um, def- remember a particular point. Um, I rem- all I remember is my mother mm, made me watch some of the early cricket games. That was uh, 83, 84. My first uh, visit to the Eden Gardens was in the 84-85 um, Eden Gardens test, uh, you can say Azaruddin and I debuted in the same match. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, what about the history aspect of it? What got you interested in cricket history? Um, see, in uh, the mid-80s, there used to be these books. I don't know. These shops, I don't know whether they exist. Where you could uh, say, uh, uh, like libraries, you could rent books. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I picked up a few cricket history books randomly. Okay, the, I was about eight or nine. Okay, these are things I like. And uh, so, okay, the period, these are players. I, I remember Ransom Ruins by Gavaskar. Okay, the, I mean, these are people I know, I watch. So, okay, there's a book on these people. And then I started reading, okay, these are things I, oh, okay, so these are also human beings. They exist outside the cricket ground. They have real life stories. And so I decided to, I mean, I start, tried to find out. And then I got to know about cricketers from the past. Basically, uh, see, you get to read about Gavaskar and then you get to re- read Sunny Days and then you read to read about cricketers Gavaskar had played with and about them. So, uh, you suddenly, and you then use uh, quiz books will t- tell you about Bradman's average uh, and things like that. So, that, so then you decided, oh, who was this Bradman person? The hundreds, uh, 99.94 seems an absurd number. Mm-hmm. How did he do all this? And there was no internet. So, book was all we, books were all we had. And then libraries and... Uh, I mean, I just got hooked. I don't know how, but it happened over time. And uh, obviously, the journey is just continuing. You're constantly learning from more information you get uh, from other people as well, right? 
yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, it is sort of, uh, I mean, then uh, over years, we, I met people with similar interest, we interacted, we talked, and then we read each other, we discussed, and uh, someone knew a lot about Australian history, someone knew a lot about English cricket history, and then the internet opened up a lot of avenues. So, uh, uh, my I could only read most. I read mostly about Indian cricket history sitting in India mm-hmm. in the pre-internet era, and so now uh, when internet forums started happening in the early in the late 1990s and early 2000s, so then I could interact with people with similar knowledge and interest about Australian cricket history. Right. So we swapped ideas, we swapped trivia, we quizzed each other, and so. Basically, both both groups thrived, and then slowly we started forming global, uh, what do you call it, platforms. And then right. there were uh, Yahoo groups, email groups. So essentially, if you sent an email, it reached everyone on that group. Right. So things like these happened. These this was the early two thousands. Right. Now. Uh... We had a discussion a couple of days ago where you you broke a misconception for me about cricket being a game for the elite. Uh, I said I originally thought that um, cricket began as an elitist sport, and then you said it's not the case. It's actually it, and that that's a that's a very wrong misconception. So where does cricket go back? See, uh, this is this is a question on which historians disagree. Mm-hmm. But it is um, usually the first mention of cricket is uh, goes back to 1598 mm-hmm. in a law case in, in a legal case at Guildford. So it's written that uh, uh, a person called John Derrick testified in his testimony said that about 50 years ago, me and my friends, I, I, he used a different uh, uh, form of English. Uh, 1598. Of course. <laughs> I'm not quoting him verbatim. So me and my, my friends and I used to play cricket mm-hmm. uh, back in the school. So uh, 1598, he's mentioning about 50 years ago. So we are putting it uh, something around 1550. But there are early mentions of word like crick and crick and these words have come up. But this is originally considered, uh, this is usually considered the first uh, mention. Now, there are uh, some opinions. Uh, one is a game is uh, the game was uh, discovered by shepherds. So, uh, this is uh, this has some uh, logic. First of all, think about it that uh, the shepherd staff mm-hmm. used to resemble the early cricket bat, not okay. the current cricket bat, but the early cricket bat. Secondly, uh, the term wicket was there. It was part of uh, the shepherd's, uh, what do you call vocabulary. And uh, thirdly, this is most uh, important. In the early days of cricket, there was no pitch. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was no groundsman, there was no curator, nothing. <laughs> so what they did was, uh, they just randomly let sheep graze on the ground. Okay. The, the place that was that the sheep cleared up the most, that became the pitch for every match. Okay. So she played a role in early cricket. So this is, but the but a, a, a more prominent idea, a more prominent theory is 
it was developed in the minds of uh, a place called Weald. Okay. If you look at the map of England around uh, Surrey, Sussex, and Kent, mm -hmm. there used to be mines, iron mines, mm -hmm. and foundries around these mines. So the miners and uh, people who worked in the foundries actually were actually the first cricketers. Okay. And is there a logical explanation to that? Uh, they has, yes. They have mentioned about, I mean, the supervisors and some, uh, some cricketers have also mentioned this in their diaries, in the journals. They have mentioned uh, playing game, playing things, playing uh, games that resemble cricket very much. Okay. The original laws of cricket, on the other hand, is uh, are are very similar to an ancient game, not ancient, an old game called stool ball. Okay. If you look up the laws of stool ball on the internet, you'll find uh, stool ball is. Uh, they they tried to revive it as a sport, but it didn't happen. It's not a mainstream sport. But it's older than cricket, and the laws resemble cricket a lot. Okay. This was a women's, mostly a women's only sport. Remember this. Okay. So the laws of cricket are very similar to the laws of stoolball, but um, the, the elites did not were, did not feature here. Okay. Probably the first elites to uh, play cricket were the students, the school children, who. Uh, I mean, who as uh, play cricket in an organized format? Before that, they sometimes uh, the rich decided to play the local cricketers. Basically, it was an odd space, so uh, it was for money. Cricket was always played for money. Let me be clear about this. Uh, it was basically a betting sport like horse racing or cockfighting with humans as subjects. That was the only difference. Uh, so essentially, the rich played against the poor, and uh, uh, so and uh, for amounts of money, and there was a incentive for the working class because this was an this was an opportunity to make quick money. Right. And uh, the rich, uh, I mean, the uh, elite schools like Eton, Harrow, Winchester, and Westminster played some organized cricket in the early days. They are, the students were the first to play cricket. And mysteriously, cricket also spread inside the church. Oh, okay. So uh, <clears throat> the clergyman played a lot of cricket. I uh, There is no proper explanation. I mean, uh, if you go through the... Uh, <laughs> it's, it feels almost strange. I mean... Uh, if you go through 1600, uh, the early 16, early 17th century case files, you'll find that a lot of clergymen have been fined, have been reprimanded for playing cricket on Sundays, e uh, even for bunking church duties to play cricket. Not young people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> priests taking uh, priests playing cricket on church time. Well, it's and this happened too frequently. This was not a one-off incident. The elites uh, came into cricket, uh, uh, particularly when, uh, see, Cromwell drove them back to the countryside. Right. And when they returned, they realized, I mean, inter-village matches were going on. And when they returned, they returned, they brought cricket back. The elites, I won't rule them out from the early days. They were not the first cricketers. 
but they were the first patrons right there was there's no doubt about that so so when you talk about the elite becoming the first patrons did the did the working class suffer because of that because eventually it did become an elitist court uh the, the moment they became patrons they tried to establish that they they were everything about the sport because for a long time um as we know if you make if you were an amateur or what they call a gentleman mm-hmm. uh they were the only people who could lead a team right len hutton became the first professional to lead england and that right. was in the 1950s right until then only an amateur could lead england right so essentially whether you were good enough to lead england was decided by birth your birth okay whether you and that, they established that and remember that they called themselves the gentlemen the others the professionals were the players so the term gentlemen's game is essentially classist it's an elitist term they uh, they tried to establish that cricket was their sport is that why somebody like a larwood never became captain of england because yeah. uh i mean uh, wally hammond he realized he was a professional he realized um, that he would never become get to become captain of england so he actually married a rich woman oh, uh, became uh, got a high paid job could afford to not make money directly out of cricket and thus he got to lead england he gave up his professional status that was not all i mean in the, oh, so the question is what happened to these people i mean what did they do the uh, the amateurs were not uh, i mean the uh, it was a hoax that they were not making money because they held the administrative positions in right. the clubs right. and they, they were actually making money they were not getting match fees but they were actually making more money than the professionals out of cricket which is why you'll uh, see the usage of the word shamachers while referring to them so it was essentially a big lie wg grace for example was a was an amateur we know he was a doctor yes and he made enough money to not become a professional right but he charged obnoxious amounts of money yes. he forced tour or tour organizers to accompany to make his uh, family accompany him on first class while the professionals traveled in what do you say i don't think they use the word economic class or whatever that is plus that's the rule whatever uh uh-huh. so that was a privilege uh, reserved only for the the amateurs and uh, it was the same thing i mean in west indies yeah. until nine, in, until frank warren they did not have a full time black captain yes or colored captain correct in india in the early days the early patrons were the kings and the mahara and, and, and the, the kings yeah. and they were the only people whom the british considered as equals so uh, ck naidu was not i, I don't know if he had royalty in him but uh, he wasn't he wasn't a king per se and how how come he became the first captain okay so uh, on the first tour of england Uh-huh. India's first tour of England, nineteen thirty. Okay, first tour of England was nineteen thirty-two. Ah, no, we we should actually start with eighteen eighty-six. Yeah, that the first Parsis toured England in eighteen eighty-six, right. and then eighteen eighty-eight. These right. were essentially 
the parsis were the first indians to play cricket yes they were as we know uh, i mean they could also sponsor these trips but they did not get any get to play any major teams in 1911 the first team this was before india got test status uh, the team was led by the maharaja patiala okay in 1932 so uh, 1932 was india was going to play their first test match it was a big occasion so the maharaja of porbandar was named captain the vice captain was his brother in law the maharaj kumar of no the maharana i think of no it, he was maharaja some member okay. of royalty of limdi and vizi the maharaj kumar of vizianagara was the deputy vice captain so you have to had to please everyone right right so there was a deputy vice captain <laughs> and vizi pulled out of that tour so <laughs> i mean he probably wanted something uh, better in the hierarchy and so they were captain and vice captain but unlike some others porbandar realized that he was not a good enough cricketer right he was there for administrative purposes he was there to make speeches right so he played i think four matches on the entire tour and did not that in, did not in, for the main matches and for the test match he left it to naidu and uh, understand this on the morning of the india's first test match very early morning uh, after midnight so they some indian cricketers who did not like naidu they they were you have to understand this they did, there was no interaction between these indian cricketers right suppose in the 1930s a was that a caste thing more than anything else caste in 1930s a cricketer from madras yeah had probably never met a cricketer of calcutta right before that tour there was no chance the, the ranji, ranji trophy was not there yet right. so <laughs> they might not had met before the tour at all but maybe the trial matches before the tour that was all they were picked from different corners of the country right and now they knew that the only indians capable of leadership were the kings they refused to play under a commoner right and i do was very a very strict man so they woke up the maharaja porbandar they said i we don't want to play under naidu you lead hmm but so porbandar did not indulge in all this he said that no he naidu ck is going to lead so that was what happened Okay. So essentially, India's first tour, the official captain was the Maharaja Porbandar. The second tour was uh, the the second tour was in uh, 1936. The captain was Vizi Maharaj Kumar of Vizianagram. Yeah. Yeah. Third tour was in 1946. Uh, captain was Nawab Pataudi Senior. Yes. Fourth tour was Vijay uh, 1952. Vijay Hazare led India. Vijay Hazare was not a uh, not. a uh, king but he was on royal service but he was we were also a republic by then so i don't think it was pardon we were we were a republic by then so that wouldn't have made into that wouldn't have yeah yeah but right. but remember uh, vijay hazare was uh, in royal service okay so and then the next captain was uh, vijay merchant datta gaikwad in 1959 okay he was from the gaikwad family the gaikwad royal family right. the next captain was 19 in 1967 mansur ali khan pataudi india's sixth captain again royalty. a nawab again royalty so india were had different captains but when sending teams to england they tried to make sure it was someone from the royal family because the english 
the British had managed to ingrain the idea that the only Indians capable of meeting the British on the as equals were the were members of the royal family. Remember, the three Indians who played for England, the first three Indians who played for England were Ranji Dalip and the Nawab of Pataudi. Yes. So they, they were okay with Indian kings playing for them. They were okay with socializing uh, with them. And why not? I mean, <clears throat> in the 1890s, for example, the Maharaja of Patiala actually privately funded teams. And right. they, they, I mean, the, he had private private teams that right. included four English cricketers. I see. So like IPL, four overseas cricketers. In, 19, in the 1930s, the Moinud Dola trophy started. Okay. So Patiala and Vizi, Vizi were having a duel of their own. So both of them raised uh, top quality cricketers, Vizi, Vizi, and they contained overseas cricketers. Vizi actually targeted Bradman. When Bradman said no, so he did the next best thing. Um, he could have gone for Hobbs, mm -hmm. but that was too probably too less for him. So he went for Hobbs and Sutcliffe together as a package. Okay. Did they come? Huh? And they came. And they came. They played for a season for Vizzy's personal team. So that's like an IPL. So the, so the British cricketers were getting paid far less back at home than they were in but, India. Wow. So, so why was, not treat the loyalty as their own? That was the original IPL. <laughs> yeah. If you look at it. So uh, basically when Wadekar led India to England in 71, it was the first commoner who actually led India. Yes, it was a massive moment. It was a massive moment. And uh, there are some very interesting things. I mean, uh, first of all, you have to understand this. Uh, the, the difference between, uh, say, middle class Indian and a middle class English person was far greater in 1971 right. than it is now. So essentially, in uh, most professional cricketers owned cars. Right. No middle class. The Indian cricketers were mostly middle class. Yes. And none of them owned. I mean, Wadekar actually had to bargain a lot to raise Wadekar and, of course, uh, the manager, Hemu Adhikari. They had to bargain a lot for the daily allowance to to raise the daily allowance of the cricketers from one pound to three pounds. It used to be one pound, and that included everything, including person, including laundry, including food, everything, everything. Wow. Okay. So the difference was huge between uh, the Indians and I mean. Uh, and of course, it's a more, I, I won't say it's a more, it's an equal world, but the world is more equal in 19, in, in 2021 20, 20, 20, than yeah. it was in 1971. Of course. Of course. But uh, it would have been more satisfying for Wadekar being a middle class Indian to have one given the fact that all the predecessors, all royalty weren't able to do anything well. In yes, yes. Period. This is, this is an aspect that was not talked about a lot when, uh, uh, when, the 50 years was celebrated that Wadekar's win, the India's win under Wadekar was, I mean, this was also the year when the Privy Purse was abolished. Yes. 1971. So, Pataudi lost his Privy Purse and the, I mean, the royalties lost the Privy Purse and the royalties lost this as well. Yes. 
so it, it must have been an ego massive hit to the hit to the stomach for them as well when you think about yes 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 and, and obviously they won't talk about it <laughs> no they don't talk about and this a, a, a lot of things uh, see uh, winning in england was also a huge achievement huge achievement if you look at it from the south asian diaspora in england yes so uh, the politics in Eng- england had already started to change but yes i mean they needed a moment of their they needed an achievement of their own the uh, person the west indians had already established themselves as one of the top sites in the world right the indians or pakistanis had not yet done that right so and there are some uh, so i think the social aspect of that uh, uh, win i mean we also have to remember that this was the first generation of indians who grew up in independent india yes they did not carry the baggage of a british india yes and for them to achieve this with the previous generation who had witnessed british india i mean they, that was an incredible message so the more important question and, and i might sound kind of uh, silly asking this what do you think was a more special when people talk about 83 of course given the fact that india won a world cup in the west indies but a lot of people so ram gohas talks about 71 uh, in his in, 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 in several in several aspects saying that the oval test is probably the greatest test he had ever read about or written about or heard about in his in his entire life uh, when chandra took that 6 for 38 uh, but do you do you, do you feel that uh, both should be treat, treated separately or do you feel 71 is greater than 83 or vice versa the, these are different things 83 helped india 83 set the um, what do you say Ste- 83 was the stepping stone of india in i mean the, india are right now dominate cricket mm-hmm. particularly off the field on the field also they are yes. arguably the best side but that is another issue off the field they do and that started with 83 we know this in uh, just ahead of 83 final nkp salve asked for some extra passes the mcc refused it salve vowed to take the world cup out of england to india so he got together with the pakistan board and four years later the world cup came out of india they came out of england yes and nine years later india pakistan and sri lanka hosted the tour- tournament together uh, mike markesi his book has been re-released now uh, uh, it described it very well i mean how upset the english were at they realized that the momentum was shifting towards the towards the indian subcontinent they were not at all comfortable but it had started there so but uh, when did they realize that if you can't beat them join them and ecb and acb became <laughs> joined the bcci to be the power three which you see today in the in, in the world of cricket yeah so i think uh, Uh, no you have to ask, just ask that again so uh, when did they realize the ecb that if you can't beat them join them and and ecb bcci and acb are today the top three cricketing boards in the world compared to the rest because uh, they are the ones that dictate what's happening in the world of cricket today Techn- they will they have little choice i mean they had to see it, uh, even in the first ipl season they tried to stop the english cricketers from playing in the ipl right <clears throat> so but the english cricketers why would they agree 
because they are playing less they are, they are getting paid less yes in england they why why would they agree to pay, getting paid less what is what was in it for them so i think ipl changed whatever change that was left was done by the ipl right and uh, there have there are still a lot of haters of the ipl michael holding is one very prominent example uh, do you think that uh, the tour- the tournament has i'm i'm personally not a fan i don't watch i don't watch league cricket per se uh, i prefer watching internationals but uh, would you would you think obviously it has it has made an impact uh, on 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 the on the on the larger format of the game as well and what do, how do you feel t20 cricket has impacted the game today first of all money mm-hmm. a cricketer now knows that even if he is not good enough to play for his country mm-hmm. he can have a secure future playing cricket even if it is even if it is for 5 years right he can at least make a living earlier they, there are too many instances of cricketers uh dying in poverty yes several there are suicide cases also there are yes there are too many instances of cricketers having to pursue an alternative profession correct while playing cricket uh that is going away right so and the other thing is the hierarchy has been, has gone so earlier what do you, what did you have to do you had to blue well in club then state then zone then you played for india then india a maybe and then you played for india right. right now you just do well in say tnpl you get picked up by an ipl scout you do uh, well in the ipl you get pick, picked for india you pick play in the world cup that that's what happened to varun chakravarty right so the uh, the ipl has completely change the system the hierarchy the usual the conventional career path of cricketers they don't have to go via a state or association now what has that done that has first of all uh, challenged the i mean uh, state or the authority of the states and secondly the um, indian cricket despite uh, despite the um, what do you say it's uh, i mean there's no doubt that indian cricket has become more diverse mm-hmm. but the some top states they still produced more cricketers than the others now it has really really spread the right. next great indian cricketer the next indian international cricketer can come from anywhere Correct. we saw that with umran malik he was unheard of yeah unheard of kashmiri fast bowler hyderabad he was in the hyderabad benches sunrisers hyderabad were were eliminated they didn't have a chance to qualify so they decided to give umran malik a bowl a, a match so umran malik bowled within uh, in, in his first three matches he hit the 150 kilometers per hour multiple times yeah in a couple of months time he is playing in south africa for india a yes so that is how it works i mean that is something the ipl has changed and the other thing franchise cricket has done is it uh, the, as i said the, uh, just like the next uh, the next cricketer can come from anywhere so right. riyan parag 
would not have been a mainstream cricketer had it had indian cricket had ipl not happened right and cricketer from assam would have found it really really difficult we have seen that likewise a cricketer from singapore mm-hmm. would have never made big money but now we see team, tim david being picked by royal challengers bangalore right we see delray rollins of bermuda Ryan Ten Tendoskat. I know he played for Essex for a long time, but KKR yeah. took him. Yeah. Rashid Khan came to Rashid Khan, uh, Rashid Khan came to, to play for SRH before Afghanistan became a full member. Yes, uh, they also picked Nabi before Afghanistan became a full member. Sandeep Lamichane was spotted and he got picked by Delhi Capitals. Right, I think they were Delhi Daredevils at that. Whatever they were picked by the Delhi franchise. Right, so. They are basically eliminating some some stages. Right. They are making things fast. Correct. And uh, that is good in I mean, see, uh, and uh, that is good in many ways. Now you don't have to depend on a defined career option. The defined career options are still there, mind you. I mean, um, Hanuma Vihari is a is prime example of that. He is right now. He is. improving his skill set in south africa he mm-hmm. is playing for india a and he batted really well a couple of days ago so he is unlikely to make an ipl comeback but he is a candidate for test cricket yes and he is being utilized in the right way maybe he could have played against new zealand but the selectors probably think he is a better he is better he is better used in south africa so yeah i mean the and uh, india are also rotating their fast bowlers as we can see yes so yeah it is not that india are compromising on the quality of test cricket while yes. playing the ipl india are winning test matches yes, they, they have won in australia twice they are leading in england so so which is one, which is one more question i wanted to bring you about india and test cricket one thing i have noticed in the past I, 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 as far as i can uh, the last decade at least we are very slow starters in every test series we play whether it's home or away we we, we tend to do horribly in the first test and tend to bounce back and this has been like a pattern i have been noticing so we uh, so even even in the south when we toured south africa in 2011 before the before the world cup we 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 lost the test first test match horribly and then tendulkar came back and played that really ugly 146 but he he was effective and then we won we won we won one test and drew the third one and that that was normally unheard of india drawing in south africa and that it's still unheard of it it's still unheard it's it hasn't happened yet it still hasn't happened but uh, the question is why are we such poor starters um i don't have an answer to this but uh, i would say uh, lack of tour matches that may be a reason but earlier there used to be four or five matches yes, before the first yes, test match yes so some time required probably to get acclimatized so one thing that can be done but the workload is also too much the yeah, i think they're playing too so much what matches. they did was in 2010 india won india's only series win in new zealand in yes. five years yes so 2000 so uh, what they did was india played the limited overs series before that yes so the limited overs cricket has got some practice but there was no mm, red ball cricket just ahead of the test series so what did they do the test specialists rahul dravid and vvs lakshman and i think gambhir balaji i think uh, dhawal kulkarni murli vijay some 
there yeah. were some there were about it so bcci got into an agreement with new zealand cricket and these cricketers played matches in the new zealand domestic circuit ah so one or two of them for each side okay so while i mean they played full fledged full fledged competitive red ball cricket during this that time yeah i, I don't think the new zealand cricket board will ever do something like that again <laughs> uh, they may because i'll tell you why because having an indian star say if rahul dravid is playing in the match hmm. little bring people their revenue yeah But, which is why they were so keen sare were so sare was so keen on having virat kohli signed up yeah he eventually withdrew because of his neck pain yeah but sare was very keen on having kohli hey, him playing county would have been really good for his his technique also yes <laughs> but he did well without that county stint in 2018 yeah, yeah he did he did uh which bring me to which bring me to the next question uh which is uh, so uh you you've been very vocal about uh, the spirit of the game as people would like to talk it especially people who 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 are uh, old timers when they they very critical of the way ashwin mankad people and very very unapo- unapologetic about it uh people people have labeled jardine as the villain for the bodyline series personally i think is brilliant captaincy to have leg, leg, ha, have an idea of leg theory and try to contain bradman and and basically demolish australia but again when lloyd did the four fast bowler thing people said it was brilliant so is it like an is it like an anti uh, it, it, uh, what would you actually how how would you argue this thing because when lloyd lost 5-1 to 5-1 to australia his his team he said i'm not going to be a nice guy anymore i'm going to get four fast bowler and demol- and and fight fire with fire basically and that's what that's what led to west indies dominating for the next 10 years but when while Lo- people lay, hail lloyd as a brilliant tactician they're very critical about people like ashwin kohli and other, other and even jardine for that matter so what are, what are your what are your views on this i really don't know what spirit of cricket means <laughs> i also don't know why uh, other sports don't have spirit exactly uh, so honestly <laughs> body line Bradman was very critical. You can't bowl at uh, someone's body or anything. But uh, that was when Australia did not have a fast bowler. Yes. The exactly. moment Australia had fast bowlers, in England lost fast bowlers. Bradman ordered his fast bowlers to bowl at the English Englishmen. Yeah, exactly. Even, even Lindwall and Miller bowled bouncer after bouncer to the English batters. Exactly. So even, basically, um, even forget uh, Lindwall and Miller. You think of Johnson and the when Johnson destroyed England in the. Yeah, this. Uh, if you have fast bowlers use them use them to scare you scare the opposition i yeah, mean exactly. fast bowling is supposed to be scared of exactly and uh, so uh, even even ian chapel for that matter has been criticized a lot and his team is called ugly ugly, ugly australians but but i think he when when you when you think about chapel he 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 was very critical about his players too so including his brother <laughs> no no that's okay i i i i fully appreciate why greg chapel i mean i fully appreciate greg chapel asking trevor to bowl underarm i don't i don't know what the fuss was about it was legal if it's legal do it there's no doubt about it. 
okay but uh, that 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 debate is that, that that's a never ending debate and it's going to go on and on forever i don't know what the i don't get the debate against it it is legal it's still legal by the way oh is it you still go underarm if as a if and only if both captains both teams agreed before the series so it it wasn't uh, earlier that wasn't the rule earlier you could bowl underarm anyway Okay. now you can only bowl underarm if it is decided by both teams before the series oh before the series yes. not even before the match no so it's still there so you may see ashwin bowling underarm someday <laughs> i won't be I, i would love if he does yeah. would that, that, would, that would be that would be awesome that would be awesome but what they have done is you can't do what trevor chapel did you can't roll the ball anymore okay You can't, you can't even bounce up. the ball more than once. Okay. So I can't see why you can't bowl under them. If you can't bounce it more than once, and you can't roll it, so the bowler, it's the risk is to the up to the bowler. That's a fast. I did not know this. Okay, that's. <laughs> I'm going to talk about your book now. uh actually before talking about your book uh, i'm going to addition to the previous question about the spirit of the game you called gilchrist uh, selfish uh, when he walked in the 20- 2003 semi finals against sri lanka uh mm-hmm. ravi shastri in the commentary box called it great sportsman spirit but i don't had had shastri been in the same spot he wouldn't have walked no that doesn't mean he can't appreciate he's in the commentator's box See, I don't believe in uh, walking. If, uh, one way of looking at walking is you're doing something noble. Another way of looking at walking is yeah, basically telling the umpire you don't. Uh, uh, I I don't care what you say. So 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 Langer when uh, Wasim in in the Hobart Test match when Wasim got uh, this thing he didn't walk and I remember Wasim was absolutely livid with the umpire. He grabbed the sweater twice and he took he made the umpire give the sweater to the uh, to Abdul Razak and he snatched it from his hand because he was so livid with the umpire for not giving that out and. Uh, obviously langer and gilchrist saved won the match for australia in that in that uh, mm-hmm. that match but but uh, had, had gilchrist beaten the other end do you think he would have walked gilchrist claimed a false catch of rahul dravid if you remember at the sydney test of yes. 2017 yes, there yes, was there yes. was the ball was uh, the ball passed some distance away from dravid's back Gilchrist was standing up to the stumps and took the catch, and he appealed, and he got the decision. There's no evidence that Gilchrist uh, is a saint. Did not harm, but and you don't have to be. Absolutely, you're playing competitive sports, so it's it's absolutely fine. Uh, if if possible, you always convince the umpire to give a wrong decision in your favor. Yeah, there is that very infamous video of Richards running with the ball in his hand and the umpire giving it out without even the batsman even getting close to. The... Yeah, yeah, cricketers have done that throughout history. You know the story of W. G. Grace telling the umpire, uh, "People have come to watch me bat, not you, umpire." So I wanted to come to that. Is that a is that a urban legend or did it actually happen? See, uh, there is actually no evidence that uh, tells either way. But uh, Grace is not the only person I have heard this about. Okay. So, so, so this was uh, i mean the bullying 
usually happened. And if you see, that's what's not the only thing they raised it. And the, uh, another instance is clearly mentioned in the scorecard. So in a side match, not a very, uh, not a first class match, Gray scored 399. Mm-hmm. During the match, Grace's, Grace also had a son born to him. The telegram arrived during the town. And after the match, after his innings, Grace went to, there was no <clears throat> big score, scoreboard on the ground. Grace asked the scorers how much he scored. And they said 399. Grace asked them to add up. Okay. And so, uh, this has been noted in the official scorer's score sheet as a footnote that he had scored 399, we added a run. So, this is documented. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, I also want to talk about your book. Um, you, you uh, the, uh, I, uh, And... Uh... I've loved Azhar as a kid. I, I loved watching him back. I thought he just, and, and like you said, you and Azhar made your debuts together. So obviously there will be a soft spot over there. But uh, when the when the scandal broke out, I was personally heartbroken. I remember I was in, uh, I was in class. I just finished my 12th and this was 2000. Um, and I was waiting for, waiting for my brother at the airport and Harsha Bokli happened to be waiting in the crowd over there. So I was I was I, I was a fanboy and I just finished reading the biography other's biography by Bogley. And I went up to him and I said, I'm a big fan of the book. And I remember Harsha telling me that uh, read the book soon, it's not going to make sense anymore. Quote unquote. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, how did you feel when the implication happened? And uh, you've also been very you, you still you still are a fanboy, and I've seen that in your tweets when you talk about him. So how do you balance that entire, how do, how do you ignore that bit? It was difficult for a lot of us. Uh, throughout the 1990s, India were undefeated at home. They did not lose a single test series. And remember, you uh, even if you get paid, you get paid to lose matches, not yeah. to win matches. Yeah. So now one way of looking at it is, uh, what if the matches were not fixed? India would have won more. Yeah. He would have got more runs. He would have made the 100th test. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> remember, uh, uh, yeah, it was heartbreaking, but uh, Azhar was actually never convicted. That is something I... Mm, there was actually never any concrete evidence that came out. And why the ban for life then? The ban you... happened before that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I wish they could have waited. Nothing was actually proved, uh, which makes me a bit sad, but it was what it was. I mean, the batting and fielding were real memories. Yes. They still are. There are times when you look at you tune back and just watch a video and you just feel good about life again. Because he just made it look so easy. One of the few right-handers who did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was this unusual, uh, what do you say? The, I remember in the 1996 Titan Cup. So, there was a huge ruckus over a wicket. And the Bangalore crowd became very restless. And Tendulkar was playing. He was then the newly appointed captain. Everyone loved Tendulkar. Yes. 
but uh, the crowd remained restless so azhar stepped up and he pacified the crowd so, so i remember that yes and uh, uh, i remember he made had 94. that aura i mean he made 94 in that match i remember and i remember very categorically when uh, he was Ian Chappell interviewed him in the post match. Like I, I don't remember the last time I won a man of the match award, and you, you actually felt bad for him then. <laughs> no, this was another match. This was the one that Shrinathan Kumble won, I think. Yeah, this was the, the one that Shrinathan Kumble he, he, he won. That Azhar, but that was Tendulkar's match. Tendulkar scored something in the eighties, and the, uh, so Azhar's the, player of the match was the previous Australian. In a later match, in a later match, I think that was the Mohali match. Yes, Mohali, Mohali. Yes, yes. Then this happened in Bangalore. Yes, yes. And Azhar had that aura. I mean, I remember uh, just before that. Uh, I mean, in that winter, Azhar scored a hundred at the Eden Gardens. We all remember that innings. And this was Azhar's famous favorite hunting ground. Yeah. He could do no wrong, but he had been booed at Eden Gardens earlier that year during the semi-finals. Yes. So he made that hundred. All of Eden Gardens forgot the semi-final. They stood up to applaud, but Azhar did not acknowledge. He just continued to bat. Yeah, this is the South Africa match, right? Yeah. Even in his last Test match, he scored a hundred against yeah. South Africa. Yeah. And he, it seemed that he had, he still had a few years left. He was batting like a champion. India yeah. lost the <laughs> Test match by an innings, but Azhar got a hundred. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, we lost the series two-zero. I remember that. Yes. What was you? How did you react when Hansi was implicated? When the whole well, <laughs> seemed unlikely. I don't know. I mean, it is a very sad story. Know. It's a very sad story that you think about it. Yeah, but it's okay. There was too much evidence against him, and yeah. he confessed. Yeah, he did confess. But he also he also claimed to name Azhar in that right that he introduced yes. him to a bookmaker. Yes. Uh, so, uh, who are your favorite cricket writers, Abhishek? Uh, it's difficult to say. Uh, there are. I would say. See, I think I personally rate Stephen Chalk as the greatest cricket writer. Uh, you see, Chalk. There are great cricket historians. David Frith, of course. Gideon Hay is probably my favorite. Contempt. He still writes, so he is contemporary, but is great. I mean, I. Hague is another great cricket historian. The thing that sets Chalk apart is he tries to write about cricketers whom you typically do not talk about. Mm-hmm. Bob Appleyard. Okay. Tom Cartwright. Mickey Stewart. Tom Cartwright. Yes, I know. Uh, the only reason why I know Cartwright's name is because. Uh, I had this book on the world's greatest test matches, yeah. and one of the chapters was the, the Pollock brothers give England relative problems. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So essentially, uh, you don't talk about these cricketers. Yeah, but they have incredible life stories. Right. He wrote. Uh, he picked cricketers with outstanding lives. Right, the cricketing achievements uh, may not be great, but uh, he picked cricketers with, ex- with incredible lives. There was also David Foot who passed away earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Foot uh, wrote 
probably uh, okay uh, before i say chalk's book on apple yard is probably the greatest cricket biography i have read okay and then there was david foot foot wrote um, hammond's biography another that would rank among the all time best mm-hmm. and then foot also uh, uh, wrote about some of the lesser known characters of cricket for example jack macbryan mm-hmm. again a very tormented life uh harold gimblet again a very mm, a great talent and yet a sad life i i think sad is the probably the most appropriate word hey of course and a uh, foot had this ability to make books very human we typically look at cricketers as superstars right foot makes you look at, look at superstars as human beings right and that is probably what separates him gideon hague wrote some incredible books uh i don't know i, I mean if i go only by the biographies armstrong and iverson's biographies are incredible but he also wrote the summer game the uh, probably the and then then a great book on the packer era mm-hmm. uh fritz books particularly on body line mm-hmm. prob- uh, are probably the most definitive work on this but also i have a very personal favorite author gerald broadrip broadrip took cricket research to a level that uh, even i find incomprehensible he could dig out facts and he could uh make sense of facts and combine them to form stories in a way i have not seen parallels he is probably not the greatest cricket writer very few people will call him the greatest cricket writer but many will agree that he is probably the greatest cricket researcher yes what about the uh, what about the indian writers yes shujit mukherjee not related to me uh one of the greatest <laughs> neither is pranab mukherjee <laughs> no and in fact shujit mukherjee's autobiography of an unknown indian uh uh-huh. uh so unknown indian cricketer uh-huh. is one of the one of my favorite cricket books he also wrote playing for india but autobiography of an unknown indian cricketer he played for bihar okay ranji trophy for bihar so it gives you insights about the indian domestic cricket like probably no other book so shujit mukherjee is an amazing writer and actually he raises this point that he uh, never thinks he never thought that a mukherjee would play international cricket and then in a later revised edition of the book he wrote that okay i have to change my opinion because shorodindu mukherjee has now played odis so yeah but they are not related yeah actually but uh i think the most important cricket book and it's a very well written very well researched book in, of indian cricket is the fire burns blue okay this is um, if anyone asks what book to read i definitely recommend this uh, written by, uh, by karunya keshav and siddhanta patnaik okay siddhanta is no more but uh, um this is probably the most important cricketing book at least in the 21st century okay 
any whenever anyone asks me what cricket book to read i recommend this okay coming to cricket writers you have been a little vocal about uh, certain writers thinking they 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 lost in time and they tend to tend to look at cricket in a very myopic view uh and uh, i'm not taking names over here but uh, you know who i'm talking about <laughs> uh, uh but uh, there are people who think they are very good and they have a very interesting pov when they talk about the game and why do you feel that they lost in time and they are very very myopic they wrote it, they started writing in an era when we when uh, you could not watch the live match or the or even the match highlights now if the day's play gets over it will take me 10 seconds to find the find the highlights if i right. get to watch highlights why would i read a match report right what extra would you give me what extra insights would you give to someone who has watched the entire match right even the numbers are there on tv all right. day so what extra do you give me if you are writing about a cricketer what can you tell me that a basic cricket search won't do on the internet won't do these authors uh, had done had written uh, were prominent names in the pre internet era when they were used to be the authority but the ground has been leveled right <clears throat> so uh, the same features won't work anymore because uh, if they because career averages or who bowls what now career averages can be looked up who yeah. bowls what there are a hundred of videos on the youtube right often with expert cricketers analyzing the views right so why would i read your feature to find out about cricket what are you giving me extra and with the with the fact that the number of cricket sites and number of uh, avenues open to us mm-hmm. uh, increasing with every passing day why will i stay loyal unless you provide me with an with anything extra right so there was a point when research was not easy in the in the era before the internet right then they held all the cards now they don't and some of them have adjusted beautifully to the internet era to social media they had they, they, there are some senior journalists who have done this wonderfully Mm-hmm. I really look up to them. How well they have adapted to technology, to social media, or to uh, I mean, they have how well they have figured out what matters. Can you name some of these people? Um, see, for example, Vijay Lokapalli. Uh huh. You'll see him. Yeah. Uh, be, uh, so he uh, he used to be an um, uh, a favorite writer for all of us, yes. for many of us in sport in sports stuff. Right. then uh, in the internet era he used to read his pieces on the web mm-hmm. now you can listen to him in social media right in spaces in clubhouse you can listen to him right similarly i mean this is just one person mm-hmm. but a lot of them have adapted mm-hmm. they know that writing features that uh, that most people have on subjects that most people have access to won't make them special anymore right they have adapted and they have still remained among the prominent names right but you just can't rest on past laurels and expect people to accept you of course of course 
Uh, one more question I had is: Do you feel, and this is this is one of the this is this is, do you feel that New Zealand, given that they are the World Test champions, should play more than two Test series against? Of course, they should. What else do they need to do to get longer Test series? <laughs> I mean, and, they are beating everybody. Yeah. So, forget winning the World Test Championship. Forget uh, they are top ranked side. The World Test Championship, you can say it was a one match thing. Yeah. They were top ranked side as well. Yeah. They held India at Kan in Kanpur. That was a great test match. That was a yeah. beautiful test match. They beat England in England earlier this year, just oh, before the World Test Championship, Championship final. Why? Why do you think people still don't take them seriously? Is it because the board is not well off compared to the others, or is it because? It's, it's I think, not... I think uh, they have never been taken seriously, never ever. So what do they? New Zealand were toured in England in 1931. Yeah, they were given one test match. They played so well that it was extended to three test matches. After they played well <laughs> on that tour, so some of the tour matches were converted to test matches. In 1949, England they toured England, and they did not lose a single test match and did not not lose a single match against a county side, but they were not given five day test matches. Same thing. India played every team home and away before they played New Zealand. Yes. Ever. India toured New Zealand the last. And they lost. Australia, New Zealand got test status in yeah 1930. Hmm. What? How did England start this? England started uh, New Ze- England started this by sending simultaneous tours to West Indies and New Zealand. So two English test teams were playing at the same time on the same day in West Indies and New Zealand. That is how they treated New Zealand, and uh, who else? Australia. New Zealand got a test status. Got their test status in 1930. Mm-hmm. Australia played them for the first time in 1946 after the World War for one test match in New Zealand. The next test match between Australia and New Zealand happened in 19 in the early 1970s. So the for the first 40 over four decades since they got test status. Australia did not host New Zealand. Australia's nearest test playing nation. Wow. Okay. So that was how New Zealand was treated. You, When you, Australia domestic Australia started <clears throat> one day cricket in the domestically, they invited New Zealand as a team. They did not play international cricket against New Zealand. They invited New Zealand to play as one of the teams. New Zealand, um, of course, was easily better than the state teams, Australian state state teams. Yeah, but they still kept pushing the matches against New Zealand. Do you see that trend changing? Hopefully, I have always wanted this to change, but uh, I don't know who is responsible for this. Who can stretch the New Zealand series to a minimum of four Test matches? Mm-hmm. Three should be basic, ideally four. I don't know who is responsible or who or what can be done, but it should be done. That is, I mean, if the number one side in the world does not get this, then I don't know. I mean, they have. It's not their fault. It's not the cricket team's fault. Yeah, it is not. It's the it's the administration that has to do something. But do you feel that the uh, that uh, I'm not talking about the Indian team here, but other teams at least ha- should have a voice at, when they when they talk about wanting to play more against New Zealand because yes. Of course they do. Should 
everyone should want to play against new zealand against the world champions and uh, one of the other questions i wanted to ask you is about when uh, the t20 world cup everyone did the whole take the knee thing for the black for the for all lives matter did you think uh, it was more of a publicity stunt than this thing because i don't know if people like okay i i give you pakistan for example even a lot of india uh, barring virat and a few players from bombay who are more world who are more exposed to world views i don't know a lot of people knew what what the whole george floyd incident was about so would you would you think that it was a very random act that they were asked to do it was a random act in a way but if a board uh, wants to show solidarity there is no other way for them to do this got it the board basically sent out sent out the message that okay we are with you in this right maybe uh, we should take stance in uh, maybe the indian board should take stances in other matters as well yes. they did not <laughs> but they are not mutually exclusive i mean right. uh, they should cannot it's not that if you don't do one you shouldn't be able to do the other right right and as we know virat has has taken a stance oh which is which is which is which was incredible which is very very surprising because i don't think any cricketer in the past has done that mm. in india at least except for gavaskar during the riots i'll tell you a story in the 1940s just uh, 19 specifically 1947 Fazal Mahmood was uh, selected for a I mean India were preparing for the first for the first international series international tour of Australia in the winter of 1947 their first tour of the first tour for independent India so the camp for that was being held in Pune mm-hmm. Fazal Mahmood was selected to play for India he was returning home in the in the short span in the short span between pune and bombay on train a group of rioters a mob attacked the train they wanted uh fazal they wanted to kill fazal basically sikh and idu was traveling on the train he stood between the mob and fazal with a cricket bat they did not cross line so and as we know fazal decided no i am not playing for india it's not safe for me he played for pakistan and became pakistan's first great pace bowler yes so yes they have taken stances before oh i did not know the story so gavaskar sikhe naidu and virat <laughs> yeah it's it, it, it was wonderful to see virat take that stance actually yes absolutely given given the situation and the and, the, and if you notice the media manager actually discouraged the question but Kohli wanted that question. Yes. Kohli wanted to answer it. Yes. And uh, what 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 what's the future for Abhishek Mukherjee? You know what 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 are your plans and what do you in terms of cricket? What 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 are you doing right now? And what are you going to do in the next year or so? <laughs> My future. I'm going to watch and discuss and talk about cricket as much as I can. The rest is up to the organizations. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with me. I had a lot of fun. I hope you had fun too. Yeah, yeah, of course I had fun.
uh, a lot, lot of learnings and a lot of interesting trivia and uh, there were topics that we moved out of the com- our comfort zones yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, i'm i'm glad you discussed everything that i asked you and there's nothing uncomfortable i'm glad i'm glad all right abhishek thanks i'm okay. going to i'm going to stop recording uh, yeah, okay. i'll i'll just i'll just uh,